Hi, you are listening to Celestial Vibes podcast presented by Ashwin from India. So we have Tara all today and she is a evolutionary astrologer from the United States of America and thanks Tara for coming over it's a pleasure. Oh thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be here. Okay. So uh as we were discussing uh, before the recording so i was i was wanting to have you on the show for uh, quite a while at this point and i'm glad that we uh, we finally were able to uh, get it going and the other thing is like it's funny that we actually chose uh, a day very close to solar eclipse because i personally think that uh, <laughs> this is uh, kind of a new beginning or something so i'm i'm, I'm very happy that we're doing it today Me too. Me too. And it's funny, most things like that, even though I pay attention to astrology, of course, in my job and all, but like when I pick this date, I just pick this date. So it just felt good. And so it's happy that it's also really close. <laughs> okay. And, uh, okay, yes. Uh, coming over. So uh, I thought I'd, I'd like to start with first things first. So about your early days, uh, your, uh, how you came into astrology and uh, just a little bit of flashback before that. Oh, okay, we can a little flashback. So, um I started practicing astrology professionally in 2011, so my my days were still pretty new. That's what like about 8 or 9 years ago, something like that. But when I first really got into it, I was working in healthcare. So, I had a 22-year career in healthcare as a compliance director in healthcare administration, and I had this amazing boss, and this was probably back in oh maybe 2001 and i went in for a performance evaluation and he said you're doing a great job and then he said well let's not talk about that and then he got out this big book on astrology and he said i think you will just love this and so here i was at the university of washington working with you know all these doctors and dentists and that was really when i realized i loved astrology and that particular boss even though we were not working with astrology at all he and i now he became one of my best friends so it's interesting how the world comes together but it was a number of years after that before i just started to um take full time classes and laura nalbandian was my first teacher i went through her program of evolutionary astrology and she learned directly from jeffrey wolf green who's the founder of evolutionary astrology so that was kind of my my in but but yeah strangely my uh, love of astrology came out of my work at the university so and then here i am Okay that's great. So uh, at what point of time you were with uh, Lauren Albandian? Uh 2010 I started classes with her and I continued through a 3 year program with her. Okay so yeah. And after that I also did Adam Gainsburg's he has a program called Immersion so I'm sort I'm a certified soul sign astrologer through him as well as being an evolutionary astrologer. Okay yeah I I I saw that in your about me column of your website. So But so did you have a basic uh, understanding of modern western astrology before that or you were directly into evolutionary astrology you know i just had a little bit of like dabbling around before that you know a couple of books at home looking into it myself so when i started um school that was really new for me i was raised uh, very christian and in my family um astrology was uh, the devil's work so for me it was a real uh, jump to the the other side when i really realize how much i love the other side i mean it's it's become my that's become my religion <laughs> okay that's great <laughs> so uh, evolutionary astrology and you also mentioned about uh, the the inspirations that you had by the works of dan rudyard oh yeah yeah so from the very beginning in uh, in lauren albandian's classes we would she recommended a lot of dan rudyard's books but I, it wasn't just the books he has there's like a i think it's called beyond sun signs there's a whole website dedicated to him and you can listen to him talk like lectures and access his books and i just spent weekends just listening to him talk and there was something about what he said and how he said that like it's like i kind of woke up you know and that was truly it would be a number of years before i would leave my healthcare career and move full into astrology and metaphysics but that was really the start of it and i still to this day i mean i go back and re-reference his stuff and use his work i think he's just amazing so yeah okay so um i think this 
uh, this thing about making a transition from one career to uh, another different career uh, is probably one of the most hardest things that uh, one can do in life and uh, i am actually struggling to do that at this point of time so <laughs> so uh, i think a little bit of uh, uh, like something that you can talk about how it was Uh, making a transition from your healthcare industry to uh, being an astrologer and working um, working on those uh, aspects of uh, career that is related to astrology yeah one of the things during the transition so there was a period of time where i continued to work as a director um at the university uh, in healthcare but i also was working at a metaphysical bookstore giving readings i was also teaching astrology so basically i was working you know all weekend and evenings on astrology and I also practice the tarot as well so I did both of those things and then I would be at my job during the day but one of the the really um maybe most wonderful things about that time was that I didn't keep it secret or anything and even though I was working I mean at the university I was working with doctors and dentists and researchers and scientists right people that generally would not want to go that way Yeah but I I was lucky enough that part of my job I was teaching uh communication styles just happened to be part of what I was doing okay. and those those styles were broken into four colors which I realized were the four elements we just didn't call them that right Beautiful. so I so I built this bridge really where I realized it's not that different right we're just people you know energy is just energy and so I started to instead of giving things names like cancer or capricorn right i started to kind of figure out how can i sort of talk that language every day and i got a really good response at the university in fact i ended up in um there were some dentists that invited me over to their homes to give them readings i had people coming to see me at lunch saying can you tell me more about this thing you're doing and so for me i received actually a lot of support from that job that you wouldn't think would be that way and a lot of my clients have ended up being people that either haven't seen an astrologer before or are very you know like they work in the technology world or the world where they really not haven't had exposure to it and so i think i think one of my gifts is that i i can be really down to earth business side like i get that world but yet i also see the other piece so i think it makes it approachable meaning i'm just a human and that has been fun for me and i think good for the people that um you come to see me so okay uh, and and maybe Ashwin I can say you know when it really came down to it it took a lot to get me to leave that career i mean i think you could appreciate this right but like i had really good benefits i had a good paycheck i had a lot of respect i worked with a lot of good people like it wasn't like i had a bad job i actually had a really good job it just wasn't my heart's job okay and i knew and i knew that i wanted to so and I, part of my job at the university was teaching and i love 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 to teach i've been teaching for years but my job there was to teach all about the rules and regulations around healthcare i like teaching things that make people passionate and excited you know i didn't want to teach things that are boring and that no one wants to listen to so finally you know i just pulled out half my retirement and um quit my job and then that that was only 3 years ago. So that's amazing. I've been making I've been making my way making that's my way ever since. Then. Very good. <laughs> that's very interesting and I hope I can I can do it sometime very soon. <laughs> so You will. Yeah. <laughs> so uh would you like to give a basic definition from your point of view of evolutionary astrology and uh, I was yeah. I was so interested in this concept because I think uh, this evolutionary astrology correlates with the actual uh, hidden phenomenon of vedic astrology called karma so ah. so yeah. uh, so which means i was easily able to relate to what evolutionary astrology has to offer and i'm uh, i always follow steven forrest's works yeah. so yeah <laughs> so uh, it's it's very difficult not to talk of steven forrest when you are talking of evolutionary astrology and uh, i'm like Uh, super inspired by his works when it comes to evolutionary stuff even though i was just introduced to it uh, like uh, about uh, 15 or 16 months before uh, but still um, i didn't make my way into studying evolutionary astrology very seriously but i would like to do so very soon but so i, I thought it would be interesting to listen to 
your words of what evolutionary astrology exactly and what it has to offer and yeah. how how it is basically different from uh, modern western astrology boy well you know i um okay here here's here here's what it is to me to me evolutionary astrology is um tapping into the soul's journey and that's why i think and i and i don't know much about vedic astrology at all but i know that we share this interest in the soul right the soul that continues the soul's purpose or the soul's evolution and and so with evolutionary astrology that's really what we're looking at you know we're we're looking underneath the surface so i can't speak to all kinds of astrology i don't practice all kinds of astrology i certainly use astrology in many different ways but evolutionary astrology is like getting into your psychological nature like mark jones talks about um the wave and i won't get into this whole thing but evolutionary astrology like it gets beneath the tip of the wave so that you're seeing what's going underneath the surface and what's been continuing for lifetimes if you will right so the the soul being the part of us that is eternal or our essence in evolutionary astrology we, we call like the karmic axis which you bring up karma we're actually looking to see what what that eternal part of us what has it been really desiring the most in the most recent incarnations if you will and i and i will and i'll put this out there and i think this is a very common belief but i always like to share even though when i am talking about astrology i say past lives i don't really believe things are past meaning time to me is something that we as humans make up and i think in reality these things are all happening um different dimensions different places but that our minds can't make sense of that so we use the word past life but i hold that loosely i think it almost as if we have all these different experiences happening um evolutionary astrology helps us tune into what's been happening at least from our minds perspective right and what we're trying to do now what we're moving towards so i, I look at it this way let's just say that i i come to an astrologer and say why am i always having horrible relationships every relationship i get into is who knows who maybe it's abusive or maybe it's never what i want or the person always leaves me well we can look at that at the surface level and just try to manage the relationship or we can look deep underneath and say why might you be having these experiences and evolutionary astrology always aims to go underneath and look at the pattern you know the pattern underneath it okay interesting uh, uh, the the word pattern uh, i think it carries a huge significance when you, when you're talking of evolutionary astrology and uh, the way you talked about past life and stuff i think uh, i think it has more to do with the general psyche of a person like what we feel and what we don't feel like is happening or not happening in our lives so do you think there is a absolutely there is some kind of pattern in uh, happenings so maybe it is something that we have observed from someone else over a period of time in our lives or uh, uh, is it a calling bell that rings in our minds that this is something from past like that that we are unable to make out what it is oh you mean the pattern itself yeah yeah i mean i think i think several different things i think sometimes it's our memories that tell us something sometimes we just feel something so let's think about this way let's and i know that we're probably going to get to this in a second but let, let's say that we're looking uh, at what the soul's deepest desire has been and we can do that in evolutionary astrology by the house that pluto is in so let's say that your pluto is in the first house so your deepest desire has been to take the initiative to be a leader to experience life right to go forward and sort of name yourself to be independent so if that's been your deepest desire we can start to look at your patterns and understand them so when you just have these weird feelings of i just got to do my own thing get out of my way right which can show up as anger meaning stop getting in my way stop blocking me don't tell me what to do you know whatever these or or let me try it for myself right i think that that pattern comes tied into that this was my desire and so in some ways patterns help us if we're in tune with them right a pattern helps us realize what we really want to do but back to your earlier question about how the pattern comes i think it can come a lot of ways some patterns i think come through our ancestral memory you know like for example my uh, a lot of my heritage comes from norway 
It was the most violent Vikings of all time. So there's no way that in my flesh and blood that I can't have that um, super violent warrior spirit, right? Which carries with it, I think part of it, what we can call trauma or karma, right? Of, you know, of death and destruction. So that'd be an example of something that even if I haven't done that in my lifetime, if that's not something that I remember happening, that can still rise up in me, which can cause patterns, which means if you start to talk to me like loud, maybe, or threatening, I could immediately get defensive and feel like I need to be ready to defend myself. That's an example of a pattern, right? And I might, it might, might not even make sense of why that pattern's there. Other patterns I could tell you, you know, maybe like 20 years ago, a dog bit me, right? So now I have this fear of animals, but I think they can come from all different places. Yeah, so basically this, uh, this can read about those particular kind or sense of behaviors and perceptions that a person can instill into his personality based upon his either past experiences or uh, like mental assumptions. Yeah, yeah, and, and mental assumptions are a tricky business, right? Because we know that our memory isn't facts. Yeah. Our memory, our, our memory is actually how we feel about what we think happened. Yeah. And we know it. Like, like, what is that? I mean, that's it's very subjective. Okay. So uh, do, do you think intuition also plays a huge role in terms of uh, uh, defining a pattern in an individual? Say it one more time. Intuition, intuition. Oh, do I think intuition plays a role in defending a pattern? Yeah. Is that your question? No, yeah, I, I'm I mean, asking if, uh, if intuition plays an important role in terms of defining a pattern that an individual is going to express or is going to feel? I think intuition plays a role in everything. It's really my bigger answer. Okay, yeah. Uh, yes, intuition is probably an inseparable part of uh, human mind. So we'll, we'll move on to this. Like, uh, I wanted to uh, bring this over. So human life is an evolution, okay? Yes. So human mind is an even bigger evolution. So I, I think, uh, I think the, the relationship, the relationship between the luminaries and the nodes that evolutionary astrology projects in terms of uh, analyzing the pattern of human behaviors and uh, experiences, uh, yeah. I think I think it enriches the experience of both astrologer and also the client. So would you? Yeah, absolutely. No, it, because you're absolutely right. It's that's showing how you're evolving, right? I mean that I mean that south node of the moon is showing the past ways that you've been trying to grow and evolve and the North node shows what you're trying to move into or how you're, or I always think of the North node, like I know we talk about like moving towards the North node, but I feel like the North node is more of who you're becoming. Yeah, North you know, node is probably the desirable stuff that we are going to uh, like uh, try to approach in our current life. That is the desires and stuff. When moon is close to North, north node or, or approaching North node, but when um, I recently wrote an article uh, on karmic connections, and that was largely inspired by the concept of evolutionary astrology. So mm -hmm. I think, um, like North Node, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think North Node's proximity to Moon or Moon's pro proximity to North Node uh, uh, talks about the desire of a person current life, while Moon's proximity to the South Node uh, brings experiences that we might necessarily think that is from past life or past connections, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Is that, is that, is yeah, that the way? Yeah. 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 But yeah. Well, yes. And, and actually like, I think there's lots of ways. I would just say that, okay. you know, like I really, I'm, I may be a little too loose for some people, but I really like, I don't know, you feel the truth when it's there. Right. And so I, I, I would say, yes, I agree. I also think that the South node and the North node is all about integration. Meaning oftentimes you hear people say, oh, you got to leave that south node behind and move to the north node. And I don't ever look at it that way. I look at it, we know they're always in polarity, right? And polarities are one full continuum or spectrum of energy. So ideally what we're wanting to do is to bridge them into one integrated thing. You know, if your south node is in Gemini and north node is in Sagittarius, like mine, you're, trying to, be more, you're trying to be more whole-minded, right? So... So, for example, the conversation we're having right now is perfect to my south and north node. Uh, because, because what are we doing? We're pulling together little bits of information with that 
Gemini South Node, but yet we're trying to make it relate to a bigger context, which is Sagittarius. Okay, one thing I was thinking too is um, this whole concept of patterns. You know, um, one of my teachers says uh, that the South Node, so whenever shit hits the fan, you tend to do whatever the South Node is, because that tends to be where we go, where we're comfortable. So as far as patterns go, the South Node reveals a lot of our patterns. Like, so for me, South Node and Gemini, one of my patterns is if I get uncomfortable or something's going on, I immediately try to figure it out. I will research it and get more information. You know, I will find the answer somewhere. You know, that's another Gemini thing to do. Yeah. And so but what we can learn is that if that's been the default pattern, it doesn't mean that we stop using information. It means we can, it's almost like asking for advice from the North Node. I say to my Sagittarian self, what would you do in this moment? You know, and that gives me more room. And to me, ultimately, when we're practicing astrology, when we're sharing astrology, using astrology, I mean, don't you think it comes down to giving us more room? I mean, as people, like more room, we can become more of who we are. We have more room to actually breathe. We can access more of our gifts. We can understand more of who we are. I mean, to me, ultimately, that's the aim. Okay. That's pretty much descriptive about your uh, uh, Gemini Sagittarius nodal axis. See, but see, it works, right? I mean, we could talk about yours too. I mean, it's... Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I don't mind talking about mine. Like, I have my uh, North Node. So, I know my sidereal positions. It's uh, Leo uh, South Node and uh, Aquarius North Node. <gasps> so, yeah, and it's the 4th axis, 4th house and 10th axis, Leo oh. Aquarius. So, it's, it's like I'm always quite... Uh, insecure about my job with North Node in uh, Aquarius, even though I don't face any uh, threat directly, but I'm always insecure about my about my job, and uh, uh, and I'm always obsessed about my home, just my home, <laughs> mm. the, which is which is not necessarily the actual South Node characteristic with from the fourth house, but still I think I'm. I'm very much attached to my home and my mother. So, uh, so maybe you can bring out a, like, bring out the reason or uh, like why it is like that. Because in, in Vedic astrology, people tend to uh, like stereotype Ketu in like South Node and Fourth House. South, yeah, South Node and Fourth House is a, uh, like it is. It afflicts or uh, hurts mother in some way, or hurts our house. Or uh, okay, that that is a stereotypic definition that people give. Not every Vedic astrologer, but those who are just getting into might uh, they might tend to do this in this wrong manner. So, is there a like pattern that you follow in evolutionary astrology about the particular axis, uh, like one seven two eight or three nine or four ten? Is there a specific connectivity that you do with? Axis? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So to me, the fourth, tenth house access is my private self, fourth house, and my public self, tenth house. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I have, um, my tendency is to not label things good and bad, you know, or evil or good. Um, I think that everything has its two sides. That's my belief. And even when I'm reading the tarot, like I don't read cards reversed, but whenever I'm looking at a card, you've always got both sides. You can't not have both sides. I mean, law of the universe is that you can't have one opposite without the other opposite. So I just kind of always hold that in my mind. To me, that south node in the fourth house, I mean, absolutely, it can be a, it can be a, a focus on, on family and on home. So sometimes we see people with south node in the fourth house, their tendency uh, when things aren't going well or their tendency is to just go home, you know, I'll just go stay home, I'll be safe at home. But at the same time, think about that fourth house. The fourth house is the deepest um, part of your psychological nature. So it's like from the moon's perspective, it's your lunar landscape. So it's all the things that happen on the inside, which means it's also super psychological. It's psychic. It's super sensitive. It's feeling. That's why I'm saying we have to be careful not to automatically say that something bad goes on there. Yeah. South, south node for sure. So here, one benefit to the fourth house being able to feel someone else's feelings and help them, like help them emotionally through what they're going through. Yeah, I think this is a brilliant point because uh, 
I, I, so for some reason, I carry empathy and I think uh, the South Note 4th house brings this quality of empathy. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Which is a beautiful thing. And so think about, so now let's think about, again, that bridge between South Note and North Note or 4th attempt for you. The bridge is to take all that personal empathy, because here's the beautiful thing about all, all the Cancer, Moon, 4th house, all those archetypes together. They don't just care on like a general big um, they care about the individual person, right? You know, there's a lot of people who can say, I care about humanity and you can do a lot of good things. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in any kind of negative way, but a cancer fourth house moon person knows how to take care of the person next to them. You know, they can personally give someone attention and make them feel like they belong. If you can do that, but build a bridge out into the public world with your Aquarius 10th house stuff, you will have literally bridged. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's yeah. a, that, that's a powerful thing. You you will be able to take the inside. To, I can meet you as a person, and then you take it out. I don't. I'm sure you realize this, right? But you're yeah. you're doing you're doing your North Node in Aquarius like nobody's business. I mean, look what you're building. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you, know you, already, you already reached the point. <laughs> okay, that's that's beautiful. So it is. A, but you see, I mean, and that's just you and I are just two examples, and you and I haven't even been like practicing astrology that long right and we can look we can look at just those we've only looked at that part of our charts and already anybody listening can know a lot about us and i'm saying that's how powerful that south and north node is it tells you a lot about where someone's come from where they're going and really what we're looking at is where are you in between right meaning like where are you in integrating those things and you can help a person you know you could ask questions let's just say that if if, if you were or if I was your client and you could see my South Lotus in Gemini, you could ask me some questions. Like how important is it for you to have all the information? How important it is for you to know the facts? You know, are you able to use your intuition? You could start asking some questions and you can learn pretty quickly how much work I've done towards my Sagittarius versus how stuck I am in my, in my Gemini. And then you can really help someone. Like I can tell you when I first started practicing astrology, I had a real hard time with, um, I needed to know everything. I needed it to make sense. And, and when I was able to actually relax about that and say, you know what? I don't have to know. I can just trust that it feels true to me. My whole life changed. And so it could just be little moments like that. And working with people with evolutionary astrology, it's almost like you, instead of trying to predict what's going to happen, which we all want to do some of it. So I know astrology, part of it is helping people know what's coming. But what we're really doing, I think, is helping people get comfortable with who they are and that there's not something wrong with me because I've been overthinking, you know, and and trying to talk all the time without slowing down to figure out whether it actually means something. You can actually help the person understand, wow, you know, that's just how you've done it for a long time. But what if you look out this window, you know, and try this way? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. So, and uh, I, I wanted to talk about the luminaries, the sun and the moon. And how they are, uh, how how they are, uh, like the perspective of sun and the moon and the usage of it in evolutionary astrology. Is it any different or uh, uh, like is it the same way? Because since you take the nodes of the moon very seriously, as which is which is the same like Vedic astrologers do. So I think the relationship between the sun and the moon is uh, explored very well in. Uh, evolutionary astrology. So, do uh, what are the timing techniques that you use? Is there a specific timing technique that you use in evolutionary astrology, or uh, you you use uh, the same like solar returns or solar ranks or secondary progressions? And, oh, you know, I don't. I mean, it's, for me, I do you mean just in a normal chart? What do I work with? No, in general, uh, the evolutionary astrologers. What is that? Is there a specific thing that they they use in, when it comes to timing techniques? I mean, people probably use all different kinds of techniques. I personally, I do use solar returns. Okay. And I and I certainly look at the transits. Okay. I don't personally use solar arcs, but lots of my friends do. I just haven't taken that on yet. Okay. Solar for me personally, I really like working with solar return. Um, I like the idea of being able to say, you know, we can look at the soul's intention or the soul's journey in the birth chart, but I like being able to say, and here it is for one year, because that really gives someone to give someone something to work with. 
yeah that's but, a very closed perspective and a compact perspective which a person yeah. can actually take and run away for next one year and then come back again so it is light on them not just entire stuff put into their head yeah yeah and so and i and i think that that if that's actually workable so tell me this so i i would love to discuss how the sun and the moon might be different how in vedic astrology how is the sun used traditionally no uh see uh, i start from the significations like sun signifies father and moon signifies mother sun signifies soul and moon signifies mind so oh mind yeah so the relationship between the sun and the moon that i work with is uh, based upon see we have tithis in uh, vedic astrology so tithis generally mean uh, the lunar cycle when it comes within a month that is from new moon to full moon and full moon to new moon so the the nature of moon tends to be or tends to change based upon the light that it gets from sun so that's basically the so if we're talking from psychological perspective um as much as moon is close to sun uh, she gets more light and she's happy but not necessarily that the new moon is bad because th- that always marks new beginning and uh, the new chapters start opening so this is something that i used to do when it comes to sun and the moon and uh, there are also significations like sun refers to government while moon refers to your own mother and uh, your close psychological self hmm. so is that the same that you use in well so we 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 typically look at the sun at least i do how i've learned it is is our sense of purpose so sun being how you how you're meant to shine in the world and so it kind of i, I know and dane rujar talks about the lunation cycles a lot and i do use um the solar lunar phases uh, in addition um in fact you know dan richard says that the 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 phase of the moon you're born under is just as important of a descriptor as like your sun sign the rising sign because it in that perspective the sun represents your sense of purpose and the moon have it receiving the sun's light is the part that actually lives it out and so together it's how you live your purpose so the relationship between the two let's say like i'm i'm born under a new moon so the so the, the the way that i go through life best living my purpose is to approach things in a very um you know i just got to try it i just got to start it i just got to do it you know that that new moon kind of energy right i don't i'm not always going to see how it's going to turn out you know it's like so like that in the new moon phase we don't know what's going to happen yet it's more like we just have an idea on the inside so but i i work with people certainly you know if you were a full moon that'd be a whole different experience right and certainly if you were the waning moon the very last yeah uh, phase, phase for example yeah so but is that but does that make sense it's like i mean really true like the sun being uh, our consciousness like what we sort of um and our logic how we kind of put how, like the things you can see in the bright of day which makes sense with the sun and the moon is all the 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 feelings and the stuff on the inside but i think it, you know when you were speaking one thing that it made me resonated with me is that the moon is always receiving the sun's light and we tend to talk about the moon and the moon's phases like they're just happening with the moon but it's never it's always 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 a relationship and that's one thing about evolutionary astrology evolutionary astrology is always about relationships and we use the phases with everything in evolutionary astrology meaning those same phases between the sun and the moon we look at your phase between mars and venus we look at the phase between pluto and the sun we look at the phase between everything because that because phases tell us where we are in the evolution does that make sense yeah absolutely and, yeah, uh, yeah um, uh, i was developing an article on uh, secondary progress moon so let's not get into the secondary progress part but uh, i i wondered how the moon's phase in our life has so much of significance in our mental like mental evolution so how the way a human gets matured over a period of time as and when the moon progresses from yeah. our birth chart i think that, that was something that drew me into this concept of secondary progressions and yeah, uh, yeah so uh, that's fine but uh, how do you treat in uh, uh, like evolutionary astrology i i've heard steven forest's uh, i i watched a video of steven forest where 
he discusses about the moon's role so and uh, i was easily able to relate it to vedic astrology because uh, something that i told you earlier about uh, moon receiving light from sun this yeah. this particular statement was written in the second century text by varahamira of vedic astrology but i don't know how many people use it but uh, i studied it sometime back and i started using it in my analysis when we see uh, i am applying the same when i use progressions and it seems to work very well so how do you uh, like define a human mind when it comes like with with respect to moon i mean with respect to moon and its proximity to sun when it comes to transits or uh, like uh, whatever timing technique that you use well so i i i absolutely do use secondary progressions and i really pay attention to the moon and also the phase between the sun and the moon in the secondary progression it's yeah. huge yeah um but the moon so do i don't know how you feel about this but i think about the sun is almost like the potential the moon is how it actually happens and the moon which it's just interesting because sometimes we don't pay enough attention to our moon you know i mean we really like i think in in astrology we don't or if you, even if you remove astrology we don't work with that part of ourselves enough the moon to me is linked with memory right which Absolutely. we know is mind right so so in that respect you're right eastern western we totally agree i also think the moon is hard to define like there's a mysterious quality because the moon isn't just like Like to me mercury is like just like the functioning left brain so the moon is a different kind of mind the moon is a kind of mind that is emotional mind right it's the mind that's tied to the heart and now we've become moved into a whole different area which which we can't even define all that well but here's one thing i i look at with any time where i'm seeing um the moon like in secondary progression or in the solar return but especially secondary progression the moon shows what we're open to receive and if you want to link that to the mind the emotional mind like maybe it's like the old memories we're willing to integrate maybe it's the part of actually realizing how our heart and mind are connected but it's that openness to and you know what what if you went this way what if it wasn't just the mind up here what if it is the mind here because we know that the mind is in the heart so maybe the moon is the heart mind yeah that's true <laughs> you know i mean which is actually a very beautiful thing to think about and we are get so stuck up in this mind But, and i i know but but this mind it, it this is actually the mind that um stays with us also through time but in that in that secondary progression for example let's just say that, that if your moon is um by progression in the 12th house you know that you're open to receive something greater than yourself you know that you're ready to receive maybe something more psychic something more creative something more imaginative maybe a whole new experience with um you know what you consider spirit to be whatever that to be you know so and that so that level of receptivity with the moon i mean in order to be able to receive something kind of at all level we have to be open to it which has to include our mind you cannot exclude your mind from that so let's look at it this way maybe maybe the moon the moon shows when the heart mind is ready to receive something one way to play with it you know i mean i also can be just very like The moon of course is emotion it's family it's needing to belong but i'm saying i think the moon has a much deeper it yes. holds it holds the memories i mean the moon holds all the memories of our past yeah and uh, there is something that i found out when i was looking at a chart and i think it's easily relatable to what you just said uh, like al pacino's Al Pacino I was looking at Al Pacino's chart and Al Pacino's progressed moon uh moved into Scorpio when he was 9 years old and he was he was into addiction See So I I noticed that point and that played a huge role uh in terms of his transformation yeah. from from being a child to someone is a notorious child or something else but uh Anyway, we know what he did now. <laughs> so that's a different story. And uh, I also found out that moon. Uh, probably, I, I was looking at this concept like taking only moon into predictions without considering any other planets and just the signs wow. and the moon. So, and it is so very descriptive of a person's life. 
Well, it's your actual body. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's your emotional body. It's also tied into your physical body. It's all the fluids in your body. So if you can put your finger on the pulse of the moon, you've got your finger on the pulse of the person, at least in this lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. That is that. So see, it's uh, as an astrologer and as astrologers, we have so much of point, so, so many points of realizations at various occasions. But this is something that I got very recently, even though uh, moon was always given huge amount of significance in Vedic astrology. Uh, there is a point of realization where you tend to really understand that this particular planet plays a huge amount of uh, like huge role than what you what you actually imagine. So uh, I was thinking that uh, today I can probably try and do an analysis only with moon and no other planets. Well, and you know what else? I think yeah, uh, what I was trying to say is, uh, I think evolutionary astrology gives more scope to this particular concept, like using moon as a major uh, determinant, and uh, we like we take it further from that. So, w would you try and use moon as the ascendant, like uh, Chandra Lagna that we call in Vedic? Oh. So, move from there and analyze a person's chart. Have you ever tried it? From oh, you mean like 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 putting moon on the first house? Yeah, putting moon on the first house. Well, I certainly put moon on my first house, but not in the context you're saying, because I play with planets first all the time. This, so I, um, one of my favorite ways to experience astrology is to pick a planet that you really want to live through first, right? So let's just say that, and, and we can use it as a tool. So if you look at the, let's say if we look at someone's chart and say that, um, oh, from an evolutionary standpoint, evolutionary um, astrology standpoint, let's just say that Jupiter is retrograde and it's square the nodes. So you know that Jupiter is a big part of that person's life path. I would encourage them, try living your life Jupiter first, right? Choose Jupiter experiences, ask Jupiter questions, get, you know, bring out that part of yourself as Jupiter. And the way that I do it with the chart is by taking Jupiter, take the birth chart and you rotate the whole chart until Jupiter is right on the ascendant. Okay. So, okay. And it's, Please go on. Is that at all similar to how you put moon on the first? Uh, this is like uh, uh, we use moon on in Vedic astrology. Moon is the first how we put moon in the first house when you when we do transits. Okay. Always. So yeah, always. Um, but th there are different ways that people do. Uh, I, I have just tried to use ascendant itself while using the transits. Uh, I, I've just started using it. And uh, what you said is like, I put moon on the first house. Uh, I use the natal chart as the, as the basic chart and I put moon on the first house. And uh, I see the natural positions of other planets like we used to do it from the ascendant itself. When moon's on the first house. Yeah. Which is kind of like putting the person on their own first house. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the person's heart not the person, because the person's heart, to be more specific. Yeah. Yes, yes, better. Thank you. Yeah, good. <laughs> and well, but, but, but do you think it's possible? I don't, I don't know. Like, do you think it's possible to, like, be happy in your life if your moon isn't happy? Like, ah, the, the, as, uh, so I think there are, again, two sides of the coin, as you already said. Uh, I think... Uh, if moon isn't happy, I think it's going to give a little bit of, not a little bit, but a lot of uh, troubled experiences. But I, I always think there is a there is scope to reform. So the transformation is always on, but uh, as the, the basic sense of evolutionary astrology itself preaches, there is, uh, you can do it and nothing is tied to the planets and your fate. So it's... Uh, it is basically choice-centric stuff, and I, that, that is the that is the thing that I broke with Vedic astrology. That I I broke the concept of fate, and I took the free will from Western stuff. So, and uh, I think Moon plays a significant role because Moon's uh, Moon decides whether you want to do or you don't want to do. Absolutely, and that but that's key. That's key to every moment of your life. It's also the key to do I feel safe in any moment? Yeah. Because of because at the first moment, I don't, and, and whether it's physically safe or emotionally safe or am I even comfortable here, right? The moon 
the moon. So this is why I'm saying if you if you can learn how to make your moon comfortable, you could go a lot further in your life. Because if the moon's not comfortable, there's a huge, um, you know, it's like instinctual. You will just pull back. You know, the yeah. minute you feel that thing. And so I'm saying, I think like when you talk about and whether I fully understand it or not, when you talk about putting your heart or moon first in the chart, I think that's a really positive thing because it's actually recognizing, hey, <laughs> your feelings in a person and you have all these memories and they really matter. So let's actually give them that importance. Yeah. So, then the rest, so the rest of life can actually un unfold. You know, I think it's easy sometimes. It's funny, like in evolutionary astrology, the moon represents the ego. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean in this lifetime, the moon represents uh, like the Terra that's here right now. Um, but oftentimes we have all these spiritual practices saying, oh, well, you should transcend your ego, right? You should leave your ego behind. You should. And to a certain extent, you know, we know from a from a deeper level that that won't exist forever. But it's here for a reason. We're here for a reason. So being able to live with that part of ourselves, not even just live with it, but it's the vehicle. I mean, the, the, I, I truly believe just like when you talk about the sun, you know, shining its light and the moon reflecting it, it's the moon that's doing something with it. Yeah, so, sure. so, so if we try to like say, oh, be gone, that thing, you know, it's like, I mean, then I think it's a, in some ways we basically then, then we have cut off our humanity because our moon is our humanity. Yeah, sure. It's our, it's our human heart. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when we know that the higher octave of uh, moon is Neptune, if we think about moon being personal love and Neptune being, uh, you know, or I guess, no. Okay, and uh, thank you so much for bringing in the retrograde planets. So, how do you use retrograde planets, and what are the uh, like the basic understanding or, and manifestations of how you deal with uh, retrograde planets? Retrograde from planets. From point of view. Yeah, to me, a retrograde planet is all about uh, a, a needing to uh, reclaim or redefine, revision somehow that particular function. So to me, planets all represent um, functions of our psyche. So if Jupiter represents my um, my beliefs, my intuition, my confidence, my ability to expand, my ability to have a vision, you know, within the community. Then if that's retrograde in this lifetime, I would be needing to reclaim somehow, redefine that for myself. And I found that most retrograde planets, um, you don't get that from the immediate environment. You have to do that for yourself. Okay. You know, like like the, the function of that planet, in other words, it's up to you to reclaim that or define it for you. Okay. So if it was a so a Jupiter retrograde, for example, if it was beliefs, uh, I would need to find my own belief system. It would be unlikely I'd be born into something that would work for me if my Jupiter was retrograde. Okay, actually, I think you're talking for me because I have Jupiter retrograde on my ascendant. Good. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, okay, it's, it's funny. Okay, so the other thing that uh, I wanted to talk about was the relationship or the dealings with uh, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto because as Vedic astrologers and uh, I come from a predominantly Vedic background and I still don't use Uranus, Neptune and Pluto in my like basic consultations, mm -hmm. even though I do some analysis, but uh, I'm still not into using them in consultations. So uh, how do you, how do you treat, uh, you already spoke about Pluto. So, so what are the basic things that you do with Uranus, Neptune and Pluto so from even yeah. Um, and, uh, well, Pluto, so in evolutionary astrology, Pluto representing like the path of the soul, right? The deepest intention of the soul. But, but if we, if we kind of, uh, extrapolate that out a little bit, Pluto represents our, our deepest obsessions and compulsions, right? Like the, the, the Pluto is sort of like what we can be obsessed about, what we have been super focused on. And Pluto also always represents how and where we're trying to transform, like our deepest level of evolution. So when I'm looking at Pluto, I'm really looking at where, where the person's deepest evolutionary intent is. Okay. You know, if Pluto's in the seventh house, for example, relationships are going to be huge to that person. Okay. If that's the area they've been trying to evolve through. So that, that would be Pluto. But Pluto also, even if you don't want to use it in the, as representing the soul, 
it, you know, it almost always represents um, where we have issues with power, you know, where we're trying. So I, Pluto always wants to empower you. So wherever Pluto is by transit, natally or whatever, it's trying to empower. It just can feel sort of ruthless in the way that it does it, you know, because because Pluto yeah. Pluto wants change and it's not so concerned with how you personally feel about it. Indicative of transformation, but not necessarily desirable. You know, like, for example, like, you know, the moon is going to personally care about things. Pluto just wants things to change. So, you know, you could just lose your job one day and Pluto would be happy because now you're on to the next right path, you know, whereas. So so I think I look at Pluto oftentimes to see where people have uh, deep patterns or compulsions where they're stuck. Right. Because Pluto also is. Um, you know, if you have Pluto in the second house, for example, you might really obsess about your money or your possessions or all the things you have. You might worry about not having enough. You might be too stuck in that earthy reality. And so that's an area we can look at, which ultimately underneath that is, you know, am I worthy? I mean, anything in that second house is going to be about am I worthy? So I, I, I use Pluto. You know, you could do a whole reading list on Pluto. Okay. But, but not everyone, so here's the other thing, but, but because it's a deeper level, not everyone is in touch with it. So you, you can find, for example, that the south node is more relatable for people. Okay. Sometimes. So that's Pluto. So then if we talk about uh, Uranus, and people use the Uranus differently. Some people um, in evolutionary astrology use Uranus as a trauma signature, meaning wherever Uranus is, it shows you've had past trauma, past upset, past upheaval in that area. and um, and I do, um, I do consider that, but I more look at Uranus as where you really need to liberate yourself. Okay. And, and where you need to do things differently. And so oftentimes that links to trauma, right? Because if we've been trying to break free or if we need to break free, it can be sort of erratic or upsetting. You know, back to that seventh house in partnerships, if you have Pluto in the seventh house, you might be overly obsessed, overly stuck in relationships. If you have Uranus in the seventh house, you know, they might be, um, you know, lots of endings and beginnings. You might get married and get suddenly divorced. You might uh, uh, meet kind of wild people who cause havoc in your life, right? That Uranus is sort of like, it's the, it's the um, shaker. It's meant to like shake you loose from what you're stuck in. So, but Uranus, I use a lot by transit. Okay. Because it because it's important to see where you where you have been too stuck and where it's time to break free, and so you can ask help people to say because sometimes Uranus can feel scary. You know, it's unpredictable. So if it's in your second house, and all of a sudden you lose your money, you know that's upsetting to people. Yes. So to be able to, so so but but if you could be able to say, look, hey, I think that you need to break free from maybe your attachments to your possessions. You know, are you are you too stuck in the stuff that you own? Are you too worried about? You know, the, the money that you make, because then people can already be thinking, oh, gosh, yeah. And then you're less likely to have, I guess, a serious wake up call, if that makes sense. You know, you're, you're, you're more likely to say, oh, I'm already realizing that. Do I really need that? You know, if, you know, has my money become more important than doing what I really like to do, for example? You know, do so I, I this is Uranus to me is the great liberator. Okay. But again, just like Pluto, it's not personally involved, meaning it also doesn't care what has to come apart for something new to be built. Um, and then back to Neptune. And I know I was talking earlier about the uh, moon versus Neptune. And technically, Venus is the lower octave. Okay. Yeah. Of Neptune. But, but I, I play with both because here's what I, to me with Neptune, Neptune from a very, um, it shows our connection to something greater than ourselves. So you can call that God consciousness, you can call that spirituality, you can call that nature, you can call that creativity, you can call it inspiration, whatever you like to call it. But when Neptune is transiting or in you know, any other kind of um, a signature, ultimately Neptune wants more truth. Okay. But, but what's interesting about Neptune is how does it get to the truth? It gets to the truth by making things really cloudy. So usually you have to wait, you know, you have to wait through the fog to see what's clear. So we can also help people with Neptune. This is why, you know, Neptune, um, if Neptune is coming through your first house, for example, 
you might not, all of a sudden not, not know who you are. You know, if you're born with Neptune on the ascendant, for example, you, you might have a lot of issues around your identity. I don't know who I am. I don't know who I'm supposed to be. If Neptune is in your seventh house, you might be unclear about relationships or not see people clearly. That's the thing about Neptune, but it, but there's a reason for that. It's because it has to create the illusion to then break that illusion away so you can see the truth underneath. But I always tell people when Neptune comes around in transit, you know, be prepared, you know, for the dream to end on some levels, right? Does that make sense? Like, or the fairy tale, like what, what you imagined it to be. Because ne Neptune, Neptune wants to break down definition. Okay. You know, it, it, it always wants to be more inclusive. Okay. Okay. So that was enlightening. And, uh, uh, so, uh, like, would you recommend any, like, what are the books that you would recommend for, uh, um, like, those people who want to start evolutionary astrology? Like, did you, did you use any specific books when you started? Yeah, I mean, Jeffrey Wolf Green, who's the founder of evolutionary astrology, okay. his Pluto, his Pluto One book, I mean, it's where everything originated from, so I absolutely recommend it. Uh, he also has a Pluto Two book, but that's that's takes on some different topics. Okay. Uh, Mark Jones has um, some fantastic books that are a little bit easier to understand than Jeffrey Wolf Green. Okay. So, um, but I Jeffrey Wolf Green's book, if you really are interested in evolutionary astrology, it will go through in depth each of the Pluto placements. And when I read that book for the first time, my Pluto's in the sixth house, it was the first time that I felt like I actually understood a lot of what and why I've been honestly doing what I've been doing in my life. Okay. So, I, I mean, I would highly recommend it. Okay. Okay. So, uh, is, is there something that uh, you're working on currently? Uh, any uh, that the classes that you're taking up or uh, you're... Uh, are you teaching somewhere? Yeah, you know, so so I teach so e EA Zoom group, which is Evolutionary Astrology Zoom group, is a group on Facebook, and it's also a channel on YouTube. YouTube, yeah. and it's yeah, and it's fantastic. Like those, the the um, Linda and everyone who runs that channel, they basically just every single Thursday, there's just a group, a whole bunch of astrologers just for free, donate their time and do live uh, Zoom meetings. So those meetings are put on YouTube for anybody to access. So I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And right now I do one every other month. So just as before we got on this talk, I'm preparing to do one on the moon. So I've got my moon stuff spread out all over the, okay. the desk. So, so it's really great that we talked about the moon today. So that that's coming up. Um, but I recommend that to anybody because I'm really, um, and I know you know this about me, but the, but the listeners um, don't. I do write for Infinity Astrological Magazine, which is um, through a woman out of Serbia. And it's another, it's a beautiful collection, um, I think probably similar to the magazine you're starting, of sort of inviting everybody from around the world to contribute so that we can just share astrology and share techniques and really be more um, of a world family instead of I am this niche or I am this niche of astrology. So um, you know, I think it's great that we make the resources available to people and that we can just have an ongoing conversation. That being said, um, I'll be speaking at the Northwest Astrology Conference next May, which is um, called Norwalk, and it's in the Seattle area. It happens every year. And uh, I've got a couple other little things, but next March, I'll be in India, right near your home. Um, yeah. I'll be in Delhi speaking at a conference, and it's the, I think it's Oriental Heritage is the name of the organization. It's new to me, so and it's my first time to India and my first time at that conference. So that's my that's my biggest, biggest okay. thing coming out. Okay, that's great. Okay, I think uh, we are, like, close to the uh, end of this session. And, uh, have, okay, thank you so much for coming over. And... Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, I'm just hoping that you'll be back again because uh, as and when this podcast was progressing, I had a few more topics that came to my mind, which I would like to discuss with you. Oh, I would love to. It's, um, 
it's actually, I'm very happy you invited me. It's a, uh, having this kind of conversation is really one of my favorite things about astrology. So it makes me very happy. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank you again. And uh, okay. see you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.